0: Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My
1: guest today is Jeanette Manfra, the Assistant Director for Cybersecurity at the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency at DHS. Jeanette, welcome back to the program.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: This is the time of year that we always catch up, Cybersecurity Awareness Month. There's plenty to talk about, so let's just start, if you will, at the beginning. Uh, There's a ton of great signs that show that the agencies are really doing a a better job than ever about securing their networks, securing their data. From your perspective, as you sit at DHS, what are some of those positive signs you see? And from your perspective, what is the state of federal cybersecurity?
2: Happy uh, cyber awareness month to everybody. I agree with you. I think we have been making a lot of progress over the past couple of years and uh of course, that's not to say that there aren't more things that, that we can be doing. I think some of the tangible evidence of that was seen in the implementation of our binding operational directives, some of the examples where you had you know government leading all industry adoption of DMARC, you know, independent uh, online trust alliance, uh, rating our, our websites as most secure out of all industries. I believe we were one of the least secure a couple of years ago, and um, so really making tangible progress on on specific issues that's really reducing our, our overall exposure. Programmatically, uh, taking a lot of resources and, and focusing on um, how we make the, the federal IT infrastructure sort of overall more secure. And, um, of course, it's a much longer term goal, but really starting to make progress, better deployment of um, CDM, which improves the visibility, thinking about things like how do we standardize services um, as agencies transition over into the um, EIS contract. that will have higher levels of security built into that from the outset from their service provider. Thinking about the future of DNS, those sorts of things are where we've, we've made progress that will lead us towards a more efficient and um, secure architecture overall.
1: Without a doubt, over the last 18 months or so, the Office of Management and Budget has really focused on really updating policies. Now those policies are updated. Now it kind of turns to DHS to implement them. When you talk to agencies, when you meet with them, when you talk about whether it's TIC or CDM or or whichever type of new policy or program, what's the difference in, if you will, the culture change that we always talk about? What, What do you see that's different today than, again, three, five, seven years ago?
2: I think there's a few things. Um, You you mentioned about OMB updating their policies, and uh, one of the things that we've really focused on between us and OMB is is how are we making sure that the the programs and the priorities that DHS is focused on is following OMB policy priorities and and vice versa, also opportunities that we might see to um, reduce risk that OMB can reinforce through um, updating or issuing new policies. And so really trying to have a much tighter connection between policy Issuance and implementation guidance, and as well as um, us being able to use the, the tools and the capabilities that we're already deploying to agencies to be able to be a resource for them to be able to implement the, the policies. You know, for as identity is a is a great example. OMB issued the uh, updated the the policy around ICAM and uh, CDM. is had always planned to have um, identity and access management as a is. Sort of a part of what we offered, but it didn't have that full suite of what we uh, contemplated under the ICAM policy. So thinking about the future of how do we use CDM to um, to help agencies on the on the issue of identity management, there's still things that agencies um, are going to continue to have to do themselves, um, and and that sort of I think is the second part, which has been much more about DHS sort of evolving and def- defining more clearly our role um, versus what the agencies need to do and. And sort of being much more clear and transparent about, here's the things that we would like to do, here's things that make sense to be centralized, either from a cost or operational perspective or for DHS to offer, and here's where we want the agencies to to step in. And so much more open lines of communications, I think, between um, DHS and the agencies to set clearer expectations on what they can um, expect from us or ask of us, and similarly what we're asking of them. There's still room to grow there. We still need to work on that. um, But... those are some of the areas that I've seen the most significant change over the past few years.
1: Let's talk about some of the big programs. You mentioned CDM a couple of times. You know, that's one of my favorite programs. So let's start there. Give me an update on the progress around CDM and where are you guys heading over the next year?
2: glad to hear a reporter who's got a favorite program I love it <laughs> so I think um, CDM is has been making a lot of progress on the dashboard side we're up to 53 agencies reporting uh, data to the federal dashboard which is really increasing our visibility we recently uh, concluded and um, awarded a contract to modernize what we're now calling the dashboard ecosystem so really kind of learning the lessons from the the first few years of implementing the dashboard in the CDM tools, and and spending time with our analysts and um, agency analysts to, to really refine what are the metrics, what are the pieces of data that, that the agencies could use, and 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 what do we need, and um, and so we're really looking forward to the future of that dashboard ecosystem. We've been moving a, a lot uh, in the, the mobile and the cloud space just you know sort of a couple of years ago. Adding that to the defend contract was a really important move, and um, and so. So being able to work with uh, with agencies to ensure that their their sort of cloud and and mobile environments are, are also covered and and we focus on that. Maybe you've heard of the aware. This is the uh, the idea of, of using these tools that we put in place, the uh, um, asset management tools in particular and and being able to to start to get a sense of um, what an, an agency wide exposure score is, if you will scoring anything is always of course somewhat complicated, but just to start to be able to use these tools to say you know what what does our exposure risk exposure look like? Um, how do agencies benchmark against other agencies and um, and so we've uh, we've got a lot of agencies now that are able to do that, and we'll bring the rest of them on board um, throughout this, this fiscal year. So I think we've made really good progress on um, on CDM, and we're kind of continuing to, to look forward to um, how we get to that uh, sort of the next phase of capabilities, whether that's event monitoring or data protection.
1: One of the concerns about CDM over the years has been the slow roll that it's been happening. Agencies have been very excited yeah. about it, but, you know, oh, it just yeah. took too long to get my tools or already had some of those tools, yeah. but now i got to wait for those other tools. Have you guys solved the, that challenge with the defend task orders? Have you solved that challenge by being, if you will, maybe a little more flexible in terms of the types of yeah. tools? Talk a little bit about how the program's changed in that way.
2: One of the challenges was around the original sort of contract mechanism, which had a, um, a much shorter timeline. And, and was much more of a one-size-fits-all approach. And so with having the defend concept, it still has the idea of grouping similar agencies into um, sort of uh, a group that has kind of one systems integrator focusing on, on them. But having a, a six-year timeline in, you know, instead of just a couple of years, adding the mobile and cloud. And and also we really sort of transitioned away from a phased approach. You, you do phase one then you move to phase two and phase three, et cetera. And, and it's really more of a capability-based approach. And so here's the capabilities that we want everybody to have, and we try to work with agencies where they are. So some agencies may want to, you know, may, they may, may already be fine in, in one area, and they don't need to spend a lot of time uh, in that, or they may have a couple of gaps that we want to fill in those those gaps, um, but they're ready to do what maybe was, you know, previously in the in the phase two or, or even in the phase three. And so we've it's a little bit more of a, a complicated way to to think about deployment, but I think it's more sustainable and it and it's more useful to agencies to really understand where they're at and allow them to move at a pace that makes sense for them.
1: The other thing about the dashboard is with 53 agencies on, obviously, it's all the major ones and then some of the smaller ones. What's that doing for you from a DHS perspective to get a Oh, here we go, the buzzword, holistic approach, holistic view of what's happening across government. But really, what's the dashboard's benefits? What are you seeing today that maybe you hadn't seen in the past?
2: Since the most widely deployed tools are really in that hardware, software, asset management category, um, that's where we have the most visibility. And really what that allows, and, and at DHS, we're really just getting that aggregate data that agencies have much more granularity on, on on the specifics and what it's allowing us to do is really focus on the vulnerability management side so through the cyber hygiene scanning we have a good picture and we've made a lot of progress on sort of external facing vulnerabilities but this is helping us understand exposure sort of internal to agencies and that's where the the idea of the aware score and and having the, uh, an understanding of, of where your sort of overall exposure is you know agencies know their Environments and their systems much better than, than we ever will. So um, they still, you know, need to get into those details and understand how to what decisions they need to make, what trade-offs they might, might want to make if they say have a, a, a high-risk area, and and they need. Whether they can put those resources to it or other mitigating actions they could take, but the um, but the the dashboard as it stands right now is the most value is around having insight into vulnerabilities. the prevalence of um, say we get information about a certain type of software uh, version that has a certain type of very uh, critical vulnerability it allows us to to much more quickly query that data and and understand how many uh, devices we may have running that particular version so you can start to narrow in on um, and help agencies and work together on, on how we might mitigate that. Um, when we're back in, in WannaCry days, it was um, – we had some um, that we – that they, there was maybe some agency dashboards that were up and running. I don't remember the exact timeline. Um, but it was it was very much you know pushing to to make sure that people were patching on that particular vulnerability. We had been warning about about it for for some time before the actual um, incident itself, and so we've been very focused on um, you know here's a high priority critical vulnerability. We need you guys to focus on patching that, and they really did a good job in in doing that. So vulnerability management has really been our focus, both in um, uh, external to agencies as as well as in internal to their system, internal to their networks.
1: We have to take a break. My guest today is Jeanette Manfra, the Assistant Director for Cybersecurity at the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency at DHS. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Jeanette Manfra, the Assistant Director for Cybersecurity at the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency at DHS. Uh, I think there's a lot of ec- excitement around aware a little bit, but also a lot of expectation that's being placed on it. Wow, agencies are gonna know kind of where they stand and how to get better. I know it's just kind of kicking off; it's just getting started. But what's the short and long term kind of vision for where, from from your perspective? I've you know I've heard a lot from Kevin Cox, who runs CDM, but yeah. let's go one level up where you sit.
2: What we we looked at is um, for for years. Honestly, we have been really trying to work to, with agencies and OMB to better sort of understand what I would call exposure. And so it's you know it's different than a particular vulnerability because a particular vulnerability, even if it's rated critical if you've taken um actions to mitigate that you know, that's you know, maybe maybe you're okay Critical, you're probably not, but um <laughs> but I think what we're trying to do is get to more of an understanding of what I would call exposure to you know how many potentially devices do you have that has a the a particular set of, of vulnerabilities? how do you understand your risk for um, high value assets and sort of across the agency, how can you make a an assessment that um, you're managing you understand that exposure and then you're managing that exposure? And then, so that's kind of where the individual agencies can can use that. And then, importantly, we can start to, over time, get a sense of are we reducing our exposure um, across agencies, um, across the entire sort of federal government? Are there areas where we could focus? Do we see sort of common trends of problems where, if we focused our efforts in one particular era, area, we could we could reduce our exposure? So, we pulled in. Um, you know, there was this a uh, lot of work has been done in both internal government and outside around sort of measuring this kind of thing. It's um, you know, it's really just I would say it's really just a first step though. It doesn't tell you everything. It does give you though a, a good benchmark of. I understand, based off of a few indicators what my exposure looks like, how I rate against other agencies and um, and then again importantly for DHS we can start to take actions to reduce that exposure that we see cutting across multiple agencies so we've tried to take the best um, practices from different entities that have looked into building these sorts of algorithms and methodologies for measuring this and um, we are going to keep iterating on it to, to really try to refine that score, so it's something that is useful. Um, but it is um, it is it, really meant to give that sort of relative picture across uh, across time as to whether we're overall uh, improving that exposure.
1: And just real quick, when do the first set of scores or the first set of results from Aware? Or do you guys expect to have them in uh, later this year? Do you already have them in?
2: some agencies that have been piloting this with us for some time so we've already started to establish scores but because it's a relative thing both from one agency to another it's more of a benchmarking you know how am i doing against um sort of average across the um it, it sort of shifts as as more come on board but yes so some agencies have scores already over the rest of the fiscal year the the rest of them will will have that sense it can also um uh, it's it's designed to sort of shift as their environments shift. So if they're adding a bunch of new devices, if um, you have a big end of life, as you know we will have um, coming up soon, then you, the score is going to shift sort of um, in response to to that change in your exposure. Much so I guess more... what I mean to say is it's not a static it's not a static score.
1: Right. I mean obviously as as you said you, as you bring on more mobile devices that's going to change your score. If you get rid of Windows 7. Yeah and you'll have more different score. I know we could talk a lot more about CDM, but let me shift to some of the other ones. Another program I followed for a long time is the Einstein program. What, what's the latest mm-hmm. with Einstein? I know there's some statistics in the annual FISMA report to Congress. You know, maybe touch upon the impact it's having.
2: Just to remind folks, Einstein kind of comes in three flavors: Einstein one and two. You know, it was really just net flow and intrusion detection. Einstein three is the, um, the that sort of class where we can use classified information to protect unclassified networks. And um, and so we've seen a lot of usefulness on E1 and E2 and E3. We're seeing um, usefulness in um, really preventing blocking uh, malicious emails or blocking malicious DNS traffic. What the the sort of shift and evolution as we think about Einstein is really tied to thinking about tick and and cloud. And that
1: actually is a great segue because Trust Internet Connection is another one that, that plays into this. Uh, I know DHS was a, played a big role in developing the policy along with OMB. Uh, have the TIC use case pilots, has it kicked off yet? Where's the status of, of, of that kind of change to move away from the old TIC to the new TIC?
2: On TIC, we've, uh, we've we've definitely made a lot of progress, and uh, it, the TIC 3.0 is – I think a big evolution for how we really think overall about how we're connecting to the internet across the government. We're also thinking differently about how we provide guidance and whether that's implementation guidance or um, or some of the more technical guidance around In in the past, it was you had to have your Einstein, uh, the traffic passing through these Einstein sensors. So, we've got now the OMB-issued policy that um, rescinded the previous OMB memo requiring agency traffic to flow through a physical tick access point, which was an obstacle to some of the um, uh, adoption of uh, cloud-based infrastructure. By the end of this year, um, our plan is to release a um, what we're referring to as a tech uh, a document catalog, and and, and this will help agencies understand um, what's being protected, where the protections take place, and then how they're going to be implemented. Because with um, you know, if you sort of remove that specific, everybody goes through a specific physical tick access point and um you know then we place our sensors there and you broaden that. We needed to broaden the the way that we talk to agencies about implementing that uh, that that policy. So um We've had a bunch of interagency working groups. We've talked to over 50 agencies. We've talked with the um, the EIS vendors. We've talked to cloud service providers. We've done some uh, some pilots, both successful pilots and and others that were you know we're continuing to work through, and and, and we really realize that it's unlike the previous sort of iterations of TIC. We can't have sort of three use cases that are just going to work for everybody. There's um, there's a lot of unique ways and and uh, that and unique approaches that each agency is going to um, need to take. So this document catalog will sort of have different, it'll, it will have some use cases, will issue some use cases, some additional use cases over time will come out, and there will also be some other um, guidance uh, for agencies based off of uh, conversations that we've had with uh, the vendors and cloud service providers as to, as to how to implement it, uh, the policy. And then, as I mentioned on the Einstein conference, conversation, a lot of the focus is how do we maintain the visibility and the benefit that we get from all the traffic flowing through that physical tech as we merge, as we sort of evolve into more virtual environments. We need to really continue to have that conversation to ensure we don't lose that visibility. We have to
1: take a break. My guest today is Jeanette Manfra, the Assistant Director for Cybersecurity at the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency at DHS. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Jeanette Manfra, the Assistant Director for Cybersecurity at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency at DHS. Jeanette, there's plenty to talk about with CDM. There's plenty to talk about with TIC, and we didn't even get to the automated information sharing environment, so there's plenty there, too. I'm going to move us on. DHS announced earlier this year a vulnerability disclosure program. So let's talk about that effort. And then you also received some feedback around it. So talk maybe also a little bit about the feedback. So describe the new vulnerability disclosure program first.
2: Sure. I want And I want to kind of separate two things that I think often get conflated. So within CISA and my organization, we have for years now had a very robust, coordinated vulnerability disclosure program, specifically focused on zero-day vulnerabilities in commercial software. And we've had this for for quite a while. That's, you know, a lot of our alerts where we're pushing out those vulnerabilities, um, alert notices, and doing that in coordination with the manufacturer and the security researcher. What was announced earlier was a um, a DHS-CIO effort in response to um, the Secure Technology Act, where they were directed to take some of these actions to develop a VDP for DHS and um and so we're, we work closely with them you know to make sure that uh at at the dhs level that they're able to have a, a system and policies in place where they can have third party reports of vulnerabilities identified with with dhs systems and then on the national level, we are um, you know starting with that that program that we've already had in place we um we want to we need to continue to expand and resource that as we have of uh- Frankly, more researchers enter the community to identify some of these hardware and software vulnerabilities to make sure that um, that that is uh, able to be coordinated and, and released responsibly. We are also working to um, provide some some guidance for how agencies can can do vulnerability disclosure policies, sort of overall in programs, and that's something that us and OMB will be talking about more in the next. Uh, a couple of
1: months. And I know since you just opened the door a little bit when you're talking about how agencies can do vulnerability disclosure policies you're talking about internally correct?
2: Correct. So similar to what I just talked about, what DHS-CIO is working to do, you know, so there's a couple of agencies that have been legislatively required to establish, you know, either some sort of bug bounty program or VDP more broadly. And um, as I mentioned when we were talking earlier about the importance of vulnerability management, having a strong vulnerability disclosure program um, for vulnerabilities identified on your systems we think is really important, and, um, and we want to make sure that it's consistent across all agencies. So so um, so that's um, that's definitely a priority for both us and OMB. So that's something that, um, again, we'll, over the next 30, 60 days, be um, be talking more about that.
1: And how do these efforts, whether the, the broader one or the, the more specific one, build on stuff that NIST is doing, the SCAP, they have the National Vulnerability Database. How does that all fit together?
2: CISA and NIST are co-founders of the National Vulnerability Database to the and for, for those who may not be as familiar, this performs the analysis and um kind of expanded uh, expands the common vulnerability exposure entry information and this is where people can go to to identify uh both what the vulnerability is, any information around it, and then um and some of the scoring around it. I did a blog on this actually because it's quite complicated um, last year, in with an infographic um, called the Patch Factory, and uh, it's recognizing that it's a fairly complicated program. So we are absolutely working in partnership with NIST on all of the vulnerability disclosure work we do, as we've as we've done for for a long time, and um, and also with with other partners, you know NTIA, that's done work on um, sort of coordinated vulnerability disclosure and. And, um, and, and other agencies. DoD, as an example, has, has done a fair amount of work in this space. I know
1: there's more we could talk to about that, but I'm going to jump us forward again to another big effort you guys are around, which is uh, the QSMO, uh, one of the uh, next yeah. great acronyms in government. <laughs> the Quality Service Management Organization, and you guys were giving the lead on the cyber one, and included in that is the Security Operations as a Service effort that was Detailed back in the summer of 2018 in the Risk Determination Report. Just give me an update on the QSMO. When do we expect to see this kind of really gaining some more momentum and agencies maybe be able to see some services and buy some services?
2: Well, you're lucky we didn't call it Quizmo. I think that was uh, something originally tossed around, but I kept thinking of the sub shop. So, the Quality Service Management Office, as you noted, it's not just about cyber. It's a broader you know, sort of uh, having common standards for um, services that uh, agencies can, uh, sort of that subject matter expert agency, if you will, can, can deliver to other agencies. So, um, so we received the designation for um, the the Cybersecurity Quality Service Management Office, and we are really in the process right now of establishing the strategy for what that will look like, um, starting to set up the office, and then um, looking at a couple of services and defining what those standards are and how they will be delivered. Um, SOC as a service will be one of those um, vulnerability disclosure program. Um, Likely, as well, and, um, and and sort of thinking about what what other services would make sense to fit. But the important thing is to get that um, strategy done for what it will, what broadly the office will do. How will it set up these standards? Um, how will we go through the process of qualifying people for those um, for meeting those standards? And then how do we provide those services? As this is a new program, you know we're we're working with with Congress to ensure that we have the resources we need to not only run the program but to to provide the services. So it'll um, you know it'll be sort of expanding over the next year, or two, three years as we as we slowly build this up.
1: So the strategy is that something that's gonna be made public? Is that something we should look out for in the next you know two, three, five months? And then when will kind of the first set of standard services when will we start seeing some deliverables?
2: I don't believe it's – a, it's a good question. Let me take that back to the team, actually. We hadn't really thought about making the strategy public, but that might um, be useful to do. Really, for the next – six to nine months, I would say the, the focus is on building that strategy, defining the services that will be delivered, and doing some pilots with agencies. So those will be the first things that you'll see is um, the, the pilots uh, for some of the initial services that were um, are being defined over the next uh, the next year. So we'll take some lessons learned from the, the pilots, build those into the program to, to mature it, to offer those more, more, more fully.
1: All right. Plenty more to talk to you on that. Jeanette, we're just out of time, but before I let you go, I did want to just kind of have you take a half a step back. Agencies continue to face more risks. We talk about it all the time. The technical debt issue continues to grow, it's, it remains to be a challenge. What is DHS's or CIS's message to agencies around these two challenges of the continued threat and then the technical
2: debt? Well you said it really well yourself actually. Um, you know, I think the the message is is really first drive a cybersecurity strategy, investment, and culture. its It's got to be at all levels of the agency. And this is, and I probably should have mentioned this early on, we made enormous amount of progress. I mean, deputy secretary is now regularly engaged in understanding their um, their cybersecurity posture, and, and not just for the security agencies, those traditional ones, but for, for all of them. So that's really important. And it's also important to continue to focus on your basic sort of cyber hygiene standards and, and, really make sure that we don't lose focus on things like, you know, Patching your systems, <laughs> assessing the risk, taking the actions that we've put um, uh, forward in, in our assessments, and then the the tech debt, the legacy tech issue, is just continues to remain a, a resource challenge as, as well as a, a cybersecurity challenge. So continue to to highlight that for you know I think this is really important for agencies to understand what their exposure is as a as a result of, of legacy systems. Um, continue to prioritize your investments to uh, modernize those systems, but do it in a a secure way. Those would be my kind of big messages.
1: All right, very good. I know we could talk longer. Uh, First of all, thank you so much for taking the time. My guest has been Jeanette Manfra, the Assistant Director for Cybersecurity at the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency at the Homeland Security Department. Jeanette, as always, a pleasure talking to you. Same. We have to take a break. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. In this part of the show, we continue our conversation about DHS and cybersecurity. I sat down with Kevin Cox, the program manager for the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation, or CDM, program. Kevin, let me just start with the, the dashboard. The contract was awarded earlier this summer, and it sounds so much that the dashboard itself is better worse or, or, or but it's going to it's a, it's an approach you guys have taken to the dashboard and the the, the architecture around the dashboard that's really going to make the big difference talk a little bit about that layered approach versus
0: the maybe single view that you had previously. So the first thing to understand with the dashboard is we have what's called the ABCD model. It's simply a stack of uh, different layers. The A layer represents all the data coming up from the sensors, the different sensors that the agencies have deployed. That data then feeds up to the B layer, which is the data integration layer. That's where the data gets normalized, standardized so that it can then feed into the c layer which is the agency dashboard so that the agencies can run reports against vulnerabilities and see where vulnerabilities are throughout their environment and then it gets summarized from the c layer up to the d layer which is the federal dashboard and it's that federal reporting that uses the summary information and so what we found with the single stack is that it, it was effective in terms of getting the data flow, getting data from a center all the way up to the federal dashboard. But it didn't give us a lot of flexibility in terms of being able to bring in additional analytic capabilities, additional business intelligence, uh, additional innovations like machine learning. So what we've done with the new dashboard contract is really broaden out that ABCD layer model and be able to uh, expand out what can plug into the data integration layer, what can plug into the agency dashboard layer, what can plug into the the federal dashboard, so now we'll be able to look at bringing in additional analytic tools that can feed into the agency dashboard, allow the agencies to run different reports against their data and see different patterns that they may not have seen before. At the federal level we'll be able to orchestrate the data much better and and much quicker And at the end of the day, the whole new dashboard ecosystem also really helps us get better performance, uh, expand our scalability for the big agencies, and bring in new innovations.
1: You talk about the single layer. What do you mean by that? Meaning it wasn't broken up by
0: what? It was very, very single product focused. What we've done now with the new dashboard ecosystem is we've opened up the model so it's no longer a single product that we're dealing with. It's any different type of product that, like, provides analytic capabilities, business intelligence capabilities, now can plug into the data, and we're no longer tied to uh, just one product being able to interact with the data.
1: And did that realization happen when, for DHS, in terms of the CDM program, did you go, oh, there's all when the rise of
0: machine learning and AI became popular? Is did that if you will, the light bulb go off in your head? There were a number of factors. So we had to look at the volume of data that was coming into the dashboard stack to begin with. So we we needed to overcome some scalability issues, uh, get better performance to begin with. So those were two of the, the factors. But we also were looking at what others were doing. So we looked at some of the folks with Cybercom and DoD, Uh, elsewhere to really see what technologies they were using, Uh, not necessarily just technology, but models. And then also looking at where technology itself was going. And so all of those played into what really shaped out to be our requirements and our statement of work that, that got competed and then the award came down in May to get us on the track that we're on now.
1: And the track you're on now, obviously, is, is to do what? You're, you're starting to test
0: it out? You're starting to implement it? What's what's the timeline, or what, what's where are we at in that process? So this summer, we've been performing a proof of concept of the new dashboard model that's been deployed in a cloud, and tests have been going on throughout the summer. What we're looking to do in the first quarter of FY20, starting in October, is to start to work with a number of agencies, uh, a hand-selected number of agencies, to deploy the new dashboard model uh, in their environment and be able to get it set up, uh, ingest the data, and be able to allow and enable the agency to report on their data through the new dashboard ecosystem. Once we get that in place through FY20, and we want to try to get that in place in as many agencies as possible by the end of FY20, that's when we will then be able to bring in the additional tools uh, but right now in FY20, we want to essentially get the new model in place and then uh, use that as the foundation to move forward.
1: I could ask which agencies you're going to test with, but I think the answer is we're not we're not sure or you're not going to tell me yet. But are we looking at big agencies, small agencies? Can you give me a sense?
0: It's going to be a, a mix So uh, at a minimum. So right now we have five defend task orders, uh, groups A through E. We want to test with at least one agency from each of those orders. Those uh, agencies have not been determined, so I, uh, don't have those today. But we also want to look at our shared service platform uh, that we have for the, the non-CFO Act agencies or sort of the small and micro agencies uh, to see how it would work in that multi-tenant environment as well.
1: You mentioned the, the different defend task orders and, and another piece to this that's, that's coming together over the next couple of weeks, or months I should say, is around the ATO process, authority to operate. You guys are looking at a way to maybe add some automation to it and really quicken the pace. Talk through that. There's a, there's an RFS or request for service out there now to the defend task order, the, the
0: contractor who, who runs Group B or what? So you get to uh, ongoing authorization and, and improving the overall and making it more efficient the overall authorization process we need to first automate the, some of the control assessments. So that's what we're calling ongoing assessment. So we have started out with the agencies in Group B, the system integrator for Group B is Booz Allen Hamilton, to take a look at just the asset management capability and with the tools that we've deployed for asset management, looking at what security controls can be automated as a result of those tools being in place and being used. And that effort's uh, been ongoing uh, for the past year. We're going to continue it on through the fall. But that will allow us to uh, utilize near real-time data from these automated sensors to enable the agencies to uh, report on these controls with that near real-time data. They no longer have to go out and manually find the data. They don't have to, no longer have to manually uh, enter it into a, s- a system. It's, it's going to be presented to them.
1: And this is right now a proof of concept just with asset management, but is the goal to kind of expand out as you go along and and find successes
0: and then eventually go auto group B and then to other groups? One of the things that the defend task orders have allowed us to do is to really try different capabilities out with a smaller group or with a single agency so that we can get some lessons learned before we go out to the, the wider population. So with this one, as mentioned, we've been working with DEFEND-B, uh, the DEFEND-B task order group. The idea is once we work through the lessons learned, uh, work through the, the different technical challenges and get, get an approach that works, is we then expand that RFS out to the other task order groups uh, so that then we can get that that capability in place, so in this case ongoing assessment. We want to, once we have the experience with asset management, we want to ultimately be able to do ongoing assessment for identity and access management. So uh, look at what identity and access controls we can automate and then expand from there. And that will all feed into the longer-term vision of getting ongoing authorization and, and really working to make the overall system authorization process more efficient in the federal government. A lot of people think of ATOs as a system-by-system system
1: approach because of CDMs looking across the entire agency and the entire network, that's the, the real benefit that we're talking about here is, is it can use the tools that are there, the sensors that you're pulling the data into the dashboard to let the agency know, the CIO know, hey, this system
0: is missing configuration.
1: Th- that, that's your long-term vision.
0: The tools are now out there. The sensors are out there. We'll continue to to deploy different technologies, but we have a core set of capabilities already in place. That data is already feeding up through the dashboard infrastructure. What we want to do is get the new dashboard ecosystem in place to really broaden out what we can do with that, that data. And really, this is the key, is to operationalize CDM. We want to, now that that data is available to the agencies, we want to make it usable for the agencies. And we want, at the end of the day, for the agencies to be able to use the data to better understand their risk and better manage their risk in the long run.
1: The other thing that CDM is is leading to as well is you, you talked a little bit about at the Billington Cybersecurity Conference about the Aware program. I know more is coming in in October. Also the GovCar effort. CDM is 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 basically helping you guys kind of continue this this evolution of cybersecurity tools. You're able to do AWARE because of CDM. You're able to do the GovCar because of CDM. Connect the dots for me. We
0: were able to do AWARE because of CDM. What GovCar offers us is information that feeds into CDM to help us prioritize. So uh, just for your listeners, the .govCar, that's the .gov Cybersecurity Architecture Review, they're doing analysis of all of the different capabilities in place uh, that agencies have today, safeguards in place and they're looking at it from an adversary's uh, viewpoint. They're looking at how an adversary will try to get into an agency's network, try to exploit vulnerabilities, try to escalate privileges to get higher levels of data. So through that assessment, they're looking at what are the right cybersecurity safeguards that can be most effective, have the highest return on investment for an agency to deploy or for an agency to implement process for, to be able to get in front of the adversary, get in front of the threat. And so the DoT analysis is then feeding, we're, they've done the analysis, that data then feeds into CDM to then help us prioritize our activities. So what GovCar has shown is that continuing to stay focused on getting asset discovery out there, asset management, getting uh, vulnerability management tightened up, getting identity and access management tightened up those activities have huge returns on on investment in terms of being able to keep the adversary out of our networks. So that's where GovCar feeds feeds data into CDM to help us prioritize. And then with the CDM data that we get from the sensors, that's what will allow us to start to measure uh, and help agencies measure their environments to improve their security posture, better manage risk uh, in the long run.
1: Lots been going on around CDM, it feels like probably for about we've been having conversations like this for, for four or five, six years now. What, what does 2020 look
0: like? Two or three priorities that you want to talk to real quick? So we want to uh, stay focused on getting the fundamentals completed, uh, getting the asset management efforts uh, completed, the identity and access management technologies uh, deployed. But we want to do more on the network management side. We want to uh, work with uh, the different offices within cybersecurity division to figure out the the right approach going forward for uh, securing da- uh, agency data in the cloud. So we want to do some proofs of concept with that. We're already working with Small Business Administration with their cloud deployments uh, out in Microsoft Azure, and we want to continue those efforts. Now uh, we want to... Uh, Start to move into the mo- mobile environment, uh, be able to align with agency enterprise mobility management systems to pull in that mobile asset data to the dashboard and give the agencies better visibilities, uh, visibility on their overall mobile environment. And then uh, really want to do more uh, supporting agencies with their uh, high-value assets, uh, their, their most mission-critical systems, sensitive data, uh, the, the systems with the most sensitive data, So that we get the right uh, blend of technologies there to help uh, protect that data and, where appropriate, encrypt that data uh, to get some advanced threat capabilities uh, sitting in those environments so that if an attacker is trying to get in... they uh, they trip the wire and then uh, we can get response on that. So more around uh, supporting uh, agency high value assets and helping uh, further secure those. Very good. Your plate's full as
1: usual. So let me thank Kevin Cox, the program manager for the continuous diagnostics and mitigation program at the Homeland Security Department's cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency. Kevin, thank you so much. Thank you, Jason. That's all the time we have for today. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network.
0: You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.